Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it, it's almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is November 24th, 2009. It is a Tuesday. It's 48 degrees and blue skies, and it's a pretty day instead of the gross, ugly, disgusting day I had yesterday. So my commute should be a little bit quicker and a little less deadly and dangerous, and maybe I can stay a little more on focus for you than I did yesterday when I was trying to avoid death by tractor trailer. Um, For those of you that are wondering what I'm talking about, because it's your first episode, um, when I say mobile studio, I'm talking about my 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI, my car. So if you're thinking, man, there's background noise. It sounds like a guy's in a car. It's because I'm in a car. I'm doing 80 right now. And yet I bring you this show every day, at least until January 1, when I won't be in a car quite so often anymore from the mobile studio. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about two tenets of modern survival philosophy, the elimination of debt and the elimination of taxes. And we're going to go deeper into both of them today, and we're going to explain to you how maybe it's not as simply cut and dry as you think it is with taxes, and it's definitely not with debt. And how no one's really debt-free in this nation, but you can do the best you can, and we're going to talk about why you should do that. Uh, Before that, though, we have housekeeping to knock out. Number one, let's take care of our sponsors. Um, Sponsor I introduced to you last week, new sponsor, really excited about these people. Backyardfoodproduction.com. The DVD is amazing. I watched it again last night, um, right through while I was doing some work, kind of watching in the background. And I'm like, I don't remember that from the first time. I don't remember that from the first time. Wow, I had to stop, replay that piece, and write that down. Absolutely fabulous DVD. 110 minutes of your life well spent that you'll probably spend over several times to get everything out of it from people that have actually done these things. They're not just theory. Check that DVD out. Um, Again, I've advised Marjorie to raise the price. She hasn't done it yet. We'll see when she does. I'm telling you, it's worth more than she's selling it for by at least five bucks. Um, So I would get it now. And I would think about this one for anybody you know that's a gardener or anything like that for a Christmas present. Next, MERS-Radio.com. Great way to blend communications, your local area communications, uh, neighborhood-level communications, family-level communications with security. I just got my gear. It was so easy to put together. Uh, my buddy from ITS Tactical, Brian, he's going to come over and uh, help me shoot some video Friday. We're going to do a video review on this stuff. But I'll tell you what, it is really awesome, really easy to use, and it puts two systems in one. And I really like that redundancy. So check those guys out. Next, make sure you're involved with our forum. I'm going to be telling you the forum members who won free MSB memberships in just a minute. But I want to tell you something else other than our forum. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Survival Podcast YouTube channel. Go to the survivalpodcast.com. Scroll down. You'll see our YouTube link. Link on, It's a big YouTube banner. Just click on there. Become a subscriber. Why? Because next week I'm going to do two more contests, and one, if not both, are going to be only for people who are subscribed to the YouTube channel. So I'm trying to build out our uh, YouTube channel. We're over a thousand subscribers now. That's so you got. 
got today, you got tomorrow, and I'm telling you, when I come back Monday, um, I'm going to be giving away something, maybe a couple somethings, and you're going to have to be a YouTube subscriber to play in Monday's game. So make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel today, or you're going to forget. Uh, next, do you think the show's worth more than 20 cents an episode? Consider joining the Member Support Brigade. I said enough about it yesterday. That's it for today. Uh, next, I keep forgetting to do this, but I'm voting every day. I hope you're voting, too. Remember, we are nominated for Podcast of the Year in the general category at podcastawards.com. Please go vote for us. Please do that. You can vote once a day until November 30th. Uh, I don't want to get beat by the Hogwarts podcast or by a podcast called No Agenda. All right? I don't want to lose to the Jerry Seinfeld of podcasting, a show about nothing. All right, come on. Help me out. Let's kick some ass. All right. Last, before I go into today's topic, I just want to let you know got, who, which guys won uh, the last two contests. First, last week, I did a contest for a free copy of Making the Best of Basics, best-selling book by James Talmud Stevens. Um, I can tell you the guy's name because I know he doesn't mind because his name's blatantly public on the forum. That won that book was actually Tim Stoner. So congrats to Tim. His book is in the mail and on the way. Today I'll be setting up free MSB one-year memberships for the following forum members, and I'm going to give their forum handles because I'm not sure if they're okay with their full names being given out on the air. Uh, member number one, Mommy2JJ, won a free year. Jay Newser, N-E-U-S-E-R, Jay Newser on the forum, won a free one-year membership, and Dougie Boy won a free one-year membership. So people do win. Uh, maybe I should start a thread for winners uh, to post about winning or what have you, uh, especially when we send them gear and stuff like that. We'll We'll, we'll go from there on that, but wanted everybody to know that. So let's get into today's main topic. Again, I know I've been going a bit longer with these intros. We got a lot going on, man, and I want to let you guys know what's going on. And I also want to tell you what the show's about. You know, before the housekeeping, that eats up another minute. So please remember that. For my complainers, they go, "You're too commercial now." Um, let, let's think about debt for a minute. Let's talk about first of all why I put debt in my. Ten tenets of modern survivalism, which is being expanded to twelve as I as I work on my book. Um, the big reason I put debt in the philosophy in the first place is I'm doing a show and I'm dedicating my life to helping people survive. Uh, that could be anything from surviving uh, losing your spouse to death or illness. Um, or having a hurricane strike and tear your home apart, or a complete Hollywood-like disaster, a total collapse of the United States economy, a global pandemic, anything from one extreme to the other in that range, we prepare for. We're never ready for it, but we're as prepared as we can be. It's like having life insurance. We're not ready for someone to die, but we're prepared if they do. And that's a very serious subject. And if I'm going to talk about a very serious subject, even sometimes I get excited, maybe I talk about a little politics, throw a little ass clownery in and make some humor, try to make you feel good, try to make you feel inspired. But if I'm going to be, be talking about these serious things, even with the entertainment thrown in there, then I have to address the ones that are the most dangerous. So when I sat down and evaluated every threat to individuals, especially at the family level, to the family unit. The number one thing that destroyed families in America was debt. And when a family, well, let's say, you know, Tammy and Johnny, too, a little boy and a little girl, are ripped apart, 
and mom goes one way and dad goes another way. That is a disaster, okay? That is as much a disaster as anything else can be. And if it was the number one thing that destroyed families, then boy, it better go in there. And then as I evaluated it further, I said, well, I'm going to be telling people things like, you know, make sure that you have X amount of stored food, or make sure that you do this, or make sure that you do that. Uh, Make sure that you uh, have security systems in place. Make sure that you have redundancy in your lighting. Work hard to put in alternative forms of energy so that if the grid goes down, you still have power. And all of this stuff costs money. And if the massive amount, uh, if a massive amount of your available funding, whatever it was, whether it was a little or a lot, but if most of it was chewed up by debt, there was no room left to do these things so that you could be prepared. How could you possibly put together a six-month storage of food, a bug-out bag for every member of your family, good solid documentation, redundancy in your communications, right, and all these other things, first aid kits emergency kits have the time to go out and learn how to do things you know even though things like gardening eventually save you money the initial cash outlay to do these things the time uh, including training some of the some of the things that you may want to learn require training and it's, it's good to pay for training that's how you get the best training you know you go out and learn from an expert who values themselves enough to charge to teach you Right? Mentors are great, but you got to put a holistic mix in here. Well, all of these things cost money, so we had to address debt. Now, let's take the other side of debt. Why would it be advantageous for people in, in, in high levels of power to place the U.S. population and the nation as a whole into debt? Well, I want you to think about America in about 1880 nation largely of frontiersmen and immigrants, people that were willing to sacrifice everything to get whatever they needed, Um, people that had fought a war for independence from from Britain twice and won, people that had fought a war amongst themselves and held a nation together, people that had settled the West and they'd done some bad things and some good things in that action, but they did it. People that built railroads across the Continental Divide. People that had been poor sharecroppers and peasants, serfs, who had come to this undiscovered land and carved out of it a nation that was strong and developing and becoming something special. Now, if you want to enslave those people, you ain't going to pull it off, especially at the time with military force now, are you? You're talking about a nation where every able-bodied man and most able-bodied women at the time had guns and knew how to use them. Children were taught to use firearms at very young ages, five, six years old. Seven-year-olds were sent out to bring rabbits home for the pot. You want to invade that country? Hell no. So, if you're the power elites of the world and you have this problem, this this freedom cancer, as it were, of America developing, and you want to control it, well, then you'd work hard, and by 1913, you'd put a system in place that would ensure that the nation stayed in debt forever. 
And then you would take that to a second level by putting the businesses and the consumers in that nation under the death trap, the debt trap as well. And when you did that, you would have complete control of that nation, and you could crash and burn their economy and bring it back to life like Frankenstein anytime you wanted to. And that's why we have the debt problem we do in the United States. It is a plan. It is not a black helicopter conspiracy, Illuminati, uh, 33rd degree Mason at the evil heart of the earth with one guy that looks like Vishnu running the computers all over the world plot. It is not a nonsensical plot like that. It is not even a plot in that, like, okay, a dozen people sat down and figured out this is what we're going to do. It is the natural accumulation of events when people have as much power as certain people do in this world, and they have a desire for more. That you'll look at any way you can sell them more, control them more, have more influence, have more ability to take their wealth and transfer it to yourself. And that's what we have today, and that's why the debt exists in the first place. Now let's look at taxes for a second. Why do we have what people call a progressive tax? And I love how people say progressive like it's a good thing. What they mean by progressive is simply that if someone makes $20,000 a year, they pay a very low tax rate. And if somebody makes $200,000 a year, they pay a very high tax rate. And that it's more fair and it's more equitable because the guy that makes 200000 can afford to pay more. And the guy that makes 20000 really can't afford to pay much at all. But that oversimplification... You know, is the dumbing down pill fed to Americans about how great it is to be a progressive place and a progressive nation and progression is moving forward and don't you want to be progressive? And if we had a flat tax or a flat sales tax or, God forbid, no tax at all, that would be quite regressive because it would, it would place an undue burden on the poor and the middle class. And, and they play this game with you and they expect you to believe it. But my question for you is, is it true? Let's look at purely mathematically on the surface. If we have a tax rate of 10% flat income tax rate, which I think if we're going to have any income tax rate at all, that should be the cap. And I don't even think we should have that. But if we're going to have it, that should be it, 10%. And if the government wants wants more money, then they better get out of the way of business so the business can make more money, so we can employ more people, so they can collect more tax revenues. And it works that way. It's like going on sale, right? If you own a business and you had a whole bunch of products and you wanted to sell it all and make as much money as you could, you wouldn't jack the price up. You would lower the price and put it on sale. When you lower taxes, you put the economy on sale. And then you do more volume, and then, of course, since the government gets their piece, more volume, more revenues. Right? So it's good from that standpoint. But if we look at it purely from a standpoint of the individual paying the tax bill, well, the guy making $20,000 pays $2,000 in taxes. You go, oh, God. Poor guy. Right? Well, the guy that's paying 200000 should pay a lot more, right? Well, with a flat tax, he pays $20,000. He pays as much as the other man makes in a year. But that's not enough for the progressive. No. We must punish him for his success. So we'll tax him over 30%. And he'll pay three times in taxes what that other guy makes. And the guy that paid the 2000 will get it almost all back for earning under the minimum. And if he has any dependencies whatsoever, he'll pay nothing in federal income tax. In fact, he may get more money back than he pays in. That's the earned income tax credit. So, 
with that in mind, why would they do this? This clearly is not fair. It clearly doesn't make more money for the government. I'm telling you right now, if tomorrow morning our federal government came out and said, from now on, we don't need an IRS, everything's simple, 10% flat tax on all income, period, the end, done, their tax revenues would go through the roof. They'd have more money than they've ever had before in the history of the planet. So if they get more, and it's more equitable, and they want more, why do they do it this way? So they can play the game. You see, as long as I have a huge tax rate for my wealthy and a small tax rate for my poor, and my middle class are in the middle and they really don't understand because they're too busy working and they don't know how much tax they really pay, I can talk about raising taxes, I can talk about lowering taxes, we can have that debate and we can put a bunch of um, sparring into politics. We can make our presidential and our senatorial and our congressional elections like the WWF. Well, I'm going to raise taxes. Oh, I'm going to lower taxes. It's macho man and Hawk Hogan, folks. They're shaking hands behind the scenes. But they can't play you against each other. They can't have class warfare without the progressive tax. It exists only to serve that purpose. It is not a way to equitably redistribute wealth. Even for the socialist at its core, it doesn't work. It is not a way to help poor people. Because it cripples the economy. It is not a way for the government to get more money. It serves one purpose and one purpose only. Please remember that. This stuff matters. I know some of you guys, this is not your cup of tea. I'm going to make this all fit in the end for you. I wouldn't take a half hour to cover this stuff if it didn't matter. So the next thing we have to do is we have to swing back to debt. And I know we're swinging back and forth here, but these things are inclined. They're like an evil twin of each other. Who owes the money when we talk about debt? Well, if you have consumer debt, you have evil, cancerous debt in your personal life, and you must kill it. You must get rid of it. You must not carry credit cards. You must not use credit cards. If you live in, like, Canada, Canada guys always email, you have to have a credit card in Canada to rent a car. You can't use a debit card. Fine. Then it should be in your lockbox, right? In your safety deposit box. You shouldn't be using it. You shouldn't even know the number. The only time it should ever come out is for renting a car. And you should immediately be sending a bank a check for the difference. And that's the only thing it should be used for. And if you live in America, you have no excuse. You don't need a credit card to build your, your credit. That's a lie. You don't need a credit card to get a mortgage. That's a lie. Period. End of story. Get the consumer debt out of your life. But even if we get the consumer debt out of your life, are you really debt free? See, the reality is we'll never be debt free under the current system. Because it goes back to the money. Take a bill out of your wallet or your pocket or if you're late to your purse right now. Any bill, a dollar, a five, a twenty, a ten, I don't care what it is. Look at a bill right now. Stare at it. You think you're looking at money if you've never heard this before. That is not money. That is a note from the Federal Reserve, which is not part of the government in any way, shape, or form. Federal Reserve is a private organization. It is a group of the 12 largest private banks in the world. They are the people that produce our money. The government advocated its constitutional, constitutional duty to make our money. That was one of the few things the federal government was supposed to do, is see to the currency. They've advocated that responsibility to the 12 biggest banks in the world. 
people like the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. Again, this is not conspiracy. You can verify it all. Go to the Federal Reserve website. You can find a chart of the structure of the Federal Reserve. You won't see United States government in it. Right now, the United States government has almost no oversight of the Federal Reserve. They inflate and deflate the currency as they see fit to protect us from ourselves. But this is the thing. The money they create isn't even money. It's a certificate for debt. Every time the Federal Reserve issues money to the United States economy, it's in the form of a loan with interest applied. So that dollar in your hand is a dollar and five cents in debt. Now, if that's true, what does that mean? That means if nobody owed anybody anything in the United States today, if the nation paid off the debt, there'd be no money. Let me say that again. If we paid off our national debt under our current system, there'd be no money. Debt and money are the same thing in our modern economies. So you are in debt even if you've paid off all your debt. Because you owe your share of the national debt. There's very little you can do about that right now. That's why it's so important that you clean out your personal debt. That you get rid of your personal debt. That you buy assets that are hard for the government to ever take away. Rural land, physical assets, food, production capabilities. And you hold on to them. And anything short of a communist revolution in our country where they nationalize everything, you keep it. And if they try that, who knows? Maybe we're at endgame. And maybe we have to face that dark day none of us want to talk about. I hope the hell not. I don't think my nation's going there. I don't think we're that stupid yet. But that's a reality. And a lot of things will get nationalized because they're going to have no choice because that system is reaching an end point. It started in 1913. It got turbocharged in 1975. The people of the world are still clinging to the dollar right now because they have no choice. They are maneuvering themselves to get away from it. It might take them 20 years yet. I don't know. It could take them five. It could take them 30. I have no idea how long it's going to take. But every major nation in the world is trying to get away from the dollar right now. They just can't do it yet because we're so tightly interwoven in the global economic systems. Eventually, they, they have to do it because we are a sinking ship. And if they don't jump off, we will, they will go down with us. So it's not if, it's when. It has to be done unless we change our ways. And we have no indicators right now that we're willing to change our ways, dissolve the Federal Reserve, put a commodity behind our currency, revalue it to something that makes sense, stop taxing people through inflation. There's the other tax I have to talk to you about today. Do you understand that you're taxed every year in the neighborhood of about 4 to 5% inflation as a tax? And, and you, you probably don't understand that unless you're deep into these topics. Let me put it to you this way. They'll tell you the inflation rate is 1.9 or 2.1 or something like that. But we look around and we know when you take in all the things that we actually have to pay for, including taxes, like property taxes, the cost of home ownership. The fuel we put in our vehicles, the food that we consume, the things that we have to have, the cost of energy. When we look at all of that, the inflation rate is a minimum 5% a year. It absolutely is. Your money's worth 5% less this year than it was last year, with some exceptions because of the recession. And people are giving stuff away. But in reality, out on the global economy, your dollar lost 5 cents last year. 
All right. Now, what does that mean? That means that if you had, like, the old lady of lore, $100,000 you stuffed inside your mattress, and you just left it there for the last year, you're sitting at the end of the year going, I still have my $100,000. But you don't. You have $95,000 worth of yesterday's money. Your value's gone down by 5%. It's just like a thief broke into your house in the middle of the night, took $5,000 out of the mattress, and went away. And when eventually we go into runaway inflation, and we have an annual inflation rate of 50%, that $100,000 becomes $50,000 overnight. Generally, it's small points. It's three to five points a year in real numbers when we don't lie with voodoo math. But that means you're paying a 3 to 5% annual tax that you never see that's going to fund our national debt so that they can pay the interest on it so that they can borrow more to play more of their monopoly game at your expense. That's how it works. I know it sounds depressing, but that's how it works. The other debt that we have is the debt to our nation's industries. The companies of America, from small businesses to giant corporations, owe more money than our federal government does. To the tune of about $3 trillion more. Now, that may not be true for long, because the purse strings have been tightened on giving money to companies and, and giving them debt, and the federal debt is blown up, you know, a trillion dollars a year. So that may swing back, but the point is, our businesses and our government are deep in deep shit with how much money they owe the rest of the world. Because you have to ask yourself, if the Federal Reserve note is a certificate for debt, and that comes to the United States and that is our currency, then how does the Federal Reserve get their money? Will they create bonds against our nation? They sell them to other nations like Japan, China, India, Brazil, the United Kingdom. And then they take the money raised by saving the bonds and they loan it back to the country with which they leveraged to get the debt in the first place. Does that make sense? It probably doesn't because in, in, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't make any sense at all. Because the people buying the debt, they don't really benefit. They get a crappy interest rate like 1% right now. They don't even beat their inflation rate with their own money. And they're buying a bad asset, a decaying United States economy. The U.S. doesn't get anything good out of this because we get fake money. We get inflation. We devalue our dollar. We make our currency weak to the rest of the world. We create, it, it's, well, we create what's supposedly a good market to export our goods, but yet we have trade deficits with every major nation in the world. So we don't benefit. The people buying the crap bonds don't really benefit. They've been told they do. They've been sold on it. They've based their currency on ours. They're stuck with it for now. Who benefits? The house benefits, just like poker. Some people win, some people lose around the table, but if the house takes 10 bucks a pot, the house is rich at the end of the night. The house is the Federal Reserve in this equation. That's why they love wars. Wars make more debt. That's why they love recessions. Recessions make more debt. That's why they love prosperity. Prosperity makes more debt. Everything that happens, other than going sideways, makes more debt. It's good for them. That's why they can't have stability. 
That's why they have to have up and downs. That's why the entire concept was sold to us as, if you put this Federal Reserve System in place, we'll stop the swings. We'll stop the booms and the busts. And yet the booms and the busts have taken longer to occur, but they've gotten bigger and worse, and the swings have been more devastating, and the recovery has taken longer. Why? Because it's the best thing for the house. So you have to guard against this. So what do you do about it? Number one, I've already told you, you pay off your debt. You get personally as debt-free as you can. You don't play this game. This game is a cancer. It's designed to enslave you. The only reasonable debt for you to have in your life is for a home, and you pay that off early. And if you're not weighed down with Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Diners Club, Joe Spooty's Emporium credit card, Kohl's, JCPenney's, Sears, and every other place that will give you a free credit card, disposably free, then you'll be surprised at how fast you can pay for a house if you buy within your means. You say, well, what about a car? I cannot condemn taking out a loan to buy a good car. I've done it. But I paid off my Jetta in 30 months on a 60-year loan. I paid off my truck in 28 months on a 60-month loan. That's 60-year. I paid off my Jetta in 30 months on a 60-month loan. I paid off my truck in 28 months on a 60-month loan. I got the longer-term loan with the lower payment, so if something went wrong in our lives, we had the ability to fall back to it, and I made double and triple payments whenever I could. And we paid off our credit card debt in the same period of time. That's how you have to live your life. Because if you do that, you have cash flow. If you have cash flow, you have power and you have choice. When you get deeply into debt, you don't have any choice. And then what happens is we take people that are in debt and we tax them. So we further eliminate their choice, and that creates greater dependence upon government and greater dependence upon debt. So people are willing to sign away their sovereignty to our government. When our government is supposed to be protecting our freedom, they've actually set up a system that causes the average person to advocate that freedom to them. And then when a disaster strikes, you have to run to FEMA for help because you don't have the ability to take care of yourself anymore. That's what's happened. A lot of these people that are victims of this stuff, they're victims of their own inaction. And they're victims of their own ignorance. But on some levels, they are victims of the powers that be that have created this system to make people into exactly what they have become. So you've got to get rid of your debt. You have to diversify your investing. And that doesn't mean that you buy six different mutual funds. Every financial advisor that tells you if you put all your money into tax-deferred investments and five different classes of mutual funds, and maybe one of the five is a cash value fund for a little bit of safety, maybe one's bonds for a little more safety, and then let's say small cap, mid cap, and international, or large cap, mid cap, and international. It says now you're well diversified. And in each fund you have 100 companies or 1,000 you know, no one company's more than 1%. Now you're diversified. Should be beaten in the face, kicked in the ass, and have their license taken away. Because you are not diversified. You have 100% paper assets in tax-deferred status that you can't get your hands on. And the financial advisor that does that to you does not deserve to be licensed to be a financial advisor because he doesn't know his ass from the hole in the ground. And it's not because he's a bad guy. It's because that's how he was trained. He's not even trained in financial advice. 
Do you know what his job is? Relationship sales. Make you feel good about it when you make money and make you feel good about it when you lose money. Keep your eye on the prize long term. We don't trade here. What we do is we invest for our future. Keep buying in. Dollar cost averaging. Blah, blah, blah. And you train those idiots for 90 days and I could train you in one week to do their job better than they do. Because you'd have a little bit of a semblance of an idea of what the hell you were doing. So, when I say diversify your assets, get that pretty little financial advisor out of your head. He has a purpose. You allocate a piece of your, your, your money, a percentage, what you decide. You might even disclose to him the total value of your investments and your savings and your future investments and savings. You might say it's X. But I'm only going to give you what percentage of this to do something with. Because I want some percentage of my money into this classification of investment. I want you to help me diversify within that class. But I'm going to diversify the majority of my money outside of that class. You might even say, look, let's, let's come up with a portfolio of this type of asset, this paper asset. And I want half of the money that you control in tax-deferred status. I want it for my retirement. I want it in 401Ks. I want it in IRAs. Fine. I want the other half liquid. Even though it's in mutual funds or stocks or bonds or whatever, I don't want it tax-deferred. Because if something happens, I want to be able to get my hands on it without giving half of it to the government who's already taken their share. Okay? And that's only one little thing. When I say diversify, I'm saying you own land. That's why I'm so big on owning rural land. I'm saying you put some of your money into food. You put some of your money into silver and or gold and or platinum and or palladium. Some some source, some store of value, some metallic store of value. Maybe in copper. But that's what I'm saying when I say diversify. I'm also saying have tools that allow you to produce for yourself. Invest in your knowledge. People say, how, how should I invest this money? I mean, I'm not a financial advisor. But if you got money burning a hole in your pocket, maybe you should take your ass to the Midwest Permaculture Institute, who are not a sponsor and have no direct relationship with, and take their permaculture certification design course. Maybe you should learn how to create food anywhere in the world using permaculture techniques. Maybe if you own 15 AR-15s, you should take your ass to tactical response or front sight or something like that and get some bad gun training instead of sitting at the range punching holes in paper at 100 yards and actually learn how to use that weapon if you ever need to do it. Maybe you should go out and, and work for free and consider that an investment and go out and find some guys framing up a house and say, I want to intern with you guys for free. I can work the next three Saturdays for nothing. I want to learn how to frame so I can build a shed in my backyard. Invest in your knowledge. Invest in your skill set. Invest in production capacity. Invest in land. Invest in metal. Yes, invest in some paper assets. Put some things into some safe things. Do CD staggering. CD staggering simple. Let's say I have five thousand dollars. I want none of. I want to be able to get at least. I want to get within three years. I want to be able to get all of it within a year. Okay. What I do is I go in and I find the best CD rates I can find, whoever's doing that. Uh, uh, ING Direct is usually pretty decent on that. And I buy, I break my money up. I put a third into a three-year CD. I put a third into a two-year CD. And I put a third into a one-year CD. When the one-year CD runs out, I turn it into a three-year CD. 
When the two-year CD runs out, I turn it into a three-year CD. Now I have a third of my money available every 12 months for withdrawal without penalty. But I have the maximum interest rate available in that investment. You have to be creative. You have to think about it, about it that way. Most financial advisors know that, but they won't tell you unless you press them. Why? Because they don't earn any money on that money. That's your money you control. You don't need them for that. Once they tell you that, you're like, well, okay. I'll figure out what percentage of my money I want to do that. Let's talk about stocks, bonds, mutual funds with you. So, of course, they don't want to do that because if you're sitting in front of them with a $50,000 portfolio and they tell you that and you say, you know what, I don't feel good about the market right now. I'm going to hedge with $20,000. I'm going to put that in staggered CDs. Here's 30. How should we allocate this? They just got a big ding in their commission. And if they're a fee-only investor, I don't care. They're still charging a fee based on what they do for you. So they're doing less, so they charge less. Financial advisors in general suck. The really good ones work for the extremely wealthy, and you can't afford them. Next thing, don't listen to experts. Susie Orman, Orman, Jim Cramer, all of these ass clowns on TV, they don't live your life. They don't know what you deal with. Their advice is complete bullshit. Their advice has changed 180 degrees from where it was three years ago. And the advice they had, you might say, well, the economy's changed. Of course their advice changed. Yeah, but the advice they gave you three years ago got your ass cut in half. Now you're supposed to take their new advice. Now they know what they're doing. Now they've got it figured out. Bullshit. Don't listen to experts. Because experts don't live in your world. And most of the experts aren't even experts. They're good front men. They talk a good game. They're sellable. They're marketable. They have handlers behind them that tell them what to say. They, their, their thoughts are about as original as the thoughts of Barack Obama in front of a teleprompter. Somebody's keying the message in. Sue me, Susie Orman's mealy little mouth. When she's like, oh, I've been telling people for years. To... No, you haven't. You're a lying bitch. Let me just put it that way. I know I sound harsh, but these people piss me off because they cost people like you tremendous amounts of money because they don't give you all the information, they don't respect your intelligence, and they tell you nonsense like just stay in the game. They don't teach you what diversification means. They lie to you about what diversification means, and they have millions of dollars. And when you have millions of dollars, your investment strategy is far different than someone with a couple hundred thousand or a few tens of thousands of dollars. And they're giving you investment strategies that can be used with portions of multi-million dollar investments. But that multi-million dollar investment is truly diversified. They're only giving you one slice of the pie and say, well, the rich people are doing this. What are they doing with the other 90% of their freaking money, Susie, Jim, what have you? All right, And I pick on those two because they're the most prominent. But they're all idiots. Every freak, I haven't seen a good one on TV yet. I haven't heard a good one on the radio yet. Even Dave Ramsey, whose advice I love about debt, I think is a terrible investment advisor because he's too myopic. Oh, it's on sale. Just keep buying. All right, Dave. How, you know, and pe- People called this guy two years ago, right before the market crashed. Man, I feel bad about the market. I, I think I should take my money out right now and wait and see what happens. Oh, no, 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 no. Just keep buying. That was his advice. How's that working out for those people today? I would have told you, if you feel that way, 
The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to miss some upside. So what? Liquidating to cash. If it goes up another 10%, you'll be able to live with that. If you feel this way and it goes down 40, 50, 60%, you won't be able to live with that. It'll make you sick for years. And unfortunately, I was right and he was wrong. But I'm not going to say I'm right, so do what I say. I'm saying when your gut tells you that, you do it. Put the power in the hand of the person that actually has to win or lose at the game. Have respect for the person's innate intelligence. But these people don't have that. And that's because they're all part of the apparatus. The apparatus is a giant machine of debt and taxation wrapped together that keeps you on a roller coaster. Why do you think the mutual fund, the 401k, and the Roth and the conventional IRA, 4013B, why do you think all of those things were invented? Do you think it was to help you? They can help you. They can be useful if they're, if you're smart about the way you use them with some component of your investment strategy. But they weren't made to help you. They were made to take vast sums of money, force them into the market, and keep them there for decades upon decades upon decades. Do you see what they're doing right now? Do you understand why the market had to crash now? The baby boomers are retiring. They're pulling their money out. They couldn't afford the money coming out, people. They could not afford 30 million people going in and pulling out $2 million apiece. That was what was about to happen. $60 million was about to come out of the market. Now you say, that's 60, 60 million. That's not that much money. It is when they're the cards at the bottom of the stack. All this thing's propped up like a Ponzi scheme. When you pull out the real money, the fake money becomes evident, and the whole thing starts to cascade. 30 million people pulling out $2 million apiece can crash the stock market overnight. I know you don't think that makes any sense, but it does, because it starts a panic. And that was what was about to occur. 10% of the population is about to retire. 10%. Now, some of the wealthiest, or at least they were, some of the wealthiest people our nation has ever seen in the middle class. The upper middle class that, that was created in the prosperity of post-World War II America. That's why it happened. So you have to ignore the experts. You have to do what's right for you. And here's the big thing. And even if this wasn't your kind of show, this isn't the one you really get excited about, you have to be aware of this stuff. It does matter. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you conduct your life. It will change the way you control your assets, you control your investments. It will change everything for you individually. And that's what it really comes down to. You can't control what your government does. Not anymore, anyway. We lost that 150 years ago. You can't control what your ass clown neighbor does, but it does affect you. If you have five ass clown neighbors in your neighborhood of a hundred neighbors, and those five ass clowns should have never bought in your neighborhood because they overbought, and all five of those houses go into foreclosures, even if you did everything right, it cuts the value of your home, and that happens to so many people. But if you're debt-free, if you want to leave, you still can. It might hurt a little bit. It might be like pulling that Band-Aid off and, man, we just lost ten grand when we sold our house. But you can do it. And isn't that what's really important? Because if you find that you can get a job making $30,000 a year more by moving five states away, you know what? That $10,000 is a good investment. You still are 20000 up for the year. 
But if you're mired in debt, you may not be able to do it. You may not be able to structure the deal. Even with the new job, the lender may not work with you to do it. Because what you need, you need $10,000 in cash on closing. And then you need money to buy the next house. That's the only way you can make that work. Even with the great new job making 30000 a year or more. You have to be able to go in and go, bought the house for 140 we still owe 130 on it, the market took it down to 120 I'm selling it for 120 here's 10000 out of my pocket, I'm clearing, cleaning this deal up. You have to be able to do that. Mired in debt, you can't do it. It just can't be done. Now you're stuck, even though you didn't do anything wrong. Except being in too much debt. And then the stress comes, and then the resentment comes, and then the spouses start blaming each other, and next thing you know, another divorce has hit our nation and destroyed another family, and, you know, but that's not a survival topic, right? Right? This isn't a survival topic, Jack. Come on. Talk about storing food. No! This is as big a survival topic as anything we could ever talk about. This is the destroyer, the two-edged sword of debt and taxation. Your government takes the sword and they cut us apart with class warfare with taxation. And they cut us into a hole with taxation through inflation. And then the corporate world stands up, takes the sword, uses the other side. And they cut us with personal debt. And they divide us into groups based on race, income, station in life, geography. Those Texans are crazy, man. They all have guns says the man in Pennsylvania with a million deer hunters in his own state. I mean, you just have to think about it. That's how it works. And the only way we're going to fix this stuff, folks, is we have to band together. We have to take care of our own first, and then we have to reach out. We have to be good citizens within our local communities. We have to rebuild our local communities and say, damn the torpedoes, full steam ahead. We're going to make a difference here. It's the only way it's going to happen. And it isn't going to happen unless you understand these things. That's why I talked about them today. With that, I'm going to wrap up. I hope that you've gotten something out of today's show. I hope it's motivated you to get rid of your debt. I hope it's motivated you to figure out how to minimize your taxes. I didn't talk a lot about that today. I plan on talking about it more, but I get angry when I talk about subjects like this because I want you to understand what's being done to you and what has been done to you and what is going to be done to your children if you don't teach them this stuff today. That's really what angers me. But minimize those taxes. Reduce your cost of living and you'll figure out how to minimize your taxes. I'll do a show on that. I've been asked about it. That's coming in the future. All different ways that you can eliminate taxes. But hell, I don't care if you just eliminate your sin taxes. You smoke, grow your own tobacco, you drink, make your own beer. You won't drive to the store to pick it up. You won't pay a gas tax. You won't pay the sin tax on it. Start somewhere. Every time you cut one tax out of the equation, you start to pick apart the machine and you stop feeding it. So, again, I hope you got some stuff out of this today. I hope you're motivated. I hope as we get ready to go into the holiday season, you stay out of debt. I want everybody to have a good holiday. I want you to spend money. But I want you to spend money that you have, not money that your children should have. That's important. Um, if you're going to spend some money, hey, check out our gear shop. we got some really cool stuff. Spread the word of the Survival Podcast with a shirt or a patch or a badge. we got some cool challenge coins on the way, too. But above all, make sure you're taking care of your family. Make sure you're taking care of your kids. Make sure that you're using the resources that we give you. Use our YouTube channel. Go to our forum. Interact with other people. Teach yourself how to defend yourself financially and economically as well as physically. 
Far more people are attacked economically every day than physically, especially in this country. The greatest form of self-defense you can learn is how to keep your money from being stolen from you, which is what tax and debt do. They steal from you. Learn to defend yourself economically. Learn financial self-defense. And that's a great way to begin building and keeping that better life. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.